It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. And we have yet another trade to talk about. This, I think, guys, this is our fourth consecutive week that we've had a pretty significant trade with a bunch of prospects breakdown. Uh, this time, the uh, Pirates involved again. They get four prospects from the Yankees for Jamison Tyone. We'll talk about that. Uh, position, top 10 by position list continue to roll out, building up to the launch of the top 100 prospects list. We'll break down some of those lists as well. And we're going to talk some defense. We put out our all defensive prospect team recently. We also put out a story identifying the best defensive prospect for each team. We'll take a look at those and we'll wrap up by answering your questions in the mailbag. So first guys, let's get into the, uh, the trade of the week. Uh, it, this is broken down neatly lately. I think we've, like I said, it's been four straight weeks. I want to say that we've had one nice, big meaty prospect trade to break down. And, uh, this is a good one. Pirates involved again, they continue to bring in prospects. Um, this time they deal away Jamison Tyone and they bring in, uh, two right-handers, an outfielder and a young shortstop. Um, now we have each of you, Jim, you were, you're our, our Yankees guy, Jonathan, you're our pirates guy. So you both have, uh, a stake in this. You both are, are particularly interested in this deal. Um, I guess first, what do you guys think of the deal in general before we start breaking down uh, the individual players in it? I'll uh, I'll go first from the from the Pittsburgh side of things. Uh, you know, I, I think first and foremost, uh, w- with both Jameson Tyon and Joe Musgrove gone, the owners of independent coffee shops in Pittsburgh are, are sullen and depressed. Uh, both very big coffee guys. Uh, not the most important part of this trade, but just to be noted. Um, you know, I, I thought this one was interesting. You know, once Ben Sherrington and company started to to trade, make some of these trades starting really back with the Josh Bell trade, it, you know, they were clearly flipping the switch. And then, you know, you started hearing buzz about Musgrove and Tyon. And, you know, Tyon's interesting because, you know, he, he's pitched so seldomly because of the injuries, the second Tommy John surgery. Uh, so the fact that there was, interest i i think this was the right time for pittsburgh to to make this trade i you know sure there's a chance that time could come out and look like the the guy pre-injury or even the guy between the the, the surgeries um you know but i don't think you can when you're in the position the pirates clearly think they're in wait and i think that their ability to get again quantity uh, and mostly, you know, in both those trades, you know, guys who are far away, but with a lot of upside. And I think that's what they got in this trade with, with the Yankees. I know Jim knows these guys, you know, better than I do. Um, but, you know, three, three of the four ended up on the Pirates' top 30. And, 
you, you know, uh, Miguel Yahare is a guy who probably could be a little further up on the Pirates list. And then the fourth guy is a, may end up being the best player of the four. Uh, he's a young shortstop who's yet to, to play in the United States. So we're kind of decided to, to wait and see what happens once he uh, gets here and, and starts to play. Uh, but I thought from the Pirates standpoint, it was a very good trade in terms of continuing to add a lot of depth to the system, even if it's going to take several years before we find out just how good a trade it was. And, and Jim, I think, you know, much like with the Musgrove trade, the, the Yankees managed to bring in a guy that might, you know, make a major contribution to their starting rotation without giving up any of the guys from, from the top of their list. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the trade makes sense for both teams. I, I don't think, I mean, it could pay off for either or both or neither, to be honest. I mean, Tyone is very interesting. His track record of staying healthy is not great. And you know, the, the, there aren't a whole lot of guys who've had two Tommy Johns. So, I mean, I don't, you know, you know, there's a lot of risk there, but, but there is upside too. And, and then in terms of what the Yankees gave up, you know, they didn't give up any of their top prospects. They didn't give up anybody who's really close to a top 100 list. It does add depth to the, the pirate system. You know, Yuhure is a guy with a average fastball, but, but good polish. I, I think he's more of a floor than a ceiling guy. Renzi Contreras, you know, throws 92, 95 and touches 97. I mean, that's, above average it's not an overwhelming fastball and he, he doesn't miss a ton of bats so it's unclear exactly what he is you know Kanan smith is a, a on base overpower corner guy you know he's got decent power you know he might be a regular he might not and you know michael escoto is interesting but hasn't played in the u.s there's some power upside for a second baseman um and we just really don't know a whole lot about him because we haven't seen, you know, the, you, you have to take DSL stats. I mean, I don't think they really mean anything. It's, it's essentially, you know, high school ball, um, you know, but he, but he played well there. So, you know, four interesting guys, um, you know, Escoto had some mild support for the top 30, even before he came to the U S um, but, you know, again, it, it's not like you're penciling, Yuhure and Contreras into the one and two slots into the, the Pirates revamped rotation when they're contenders and Kenan Smith is going to bat third. It's, you know, they, they got some interesting guys for a guy who, who was a lot of risk. So let's, let's lay out exactly, uh, Jim, you just went over them a little bit, but um, the, the four prospects that the Pirates brought in were the Yankees, number 15, 19, 21 prospects, and then uh, Michael Escoto, who you mentioned was, not ranked. They go on to the Pirates list. Uh, Yohure uh, goes into the number 14 spot. Contreras into the number 19 spot. Kanan Smith into the number 26 spot. Um, you look back at uh, the past month now, and the Pirates have added 11 prospects, including eight of their top 30 prospects. Uh, they got Will Crow, uh, Eddie Young from the Nats for Josh Bell, uh, who were the, the Nats number three and six prospects, but then slotted in to the Pirates list at 21 and eight, respectively. And then in the Musgrove deal, they bring in the Padres number seven, 17, 20, and an unranked prospect in Hudson Head, Omar Cruz, David Bednar, and Drake Fellows. Hudson Head is the highest ranked of all these prospects on the Pirates list now at number six, Omar Cruz at number 20. Bednar and Fellow is not ranked. Bednar did go in at number 30, was knocked off after this latest deal. Uh, and also in that deal, the Pirates got Andy Rodriguez 
from the Mets when they flipped uh, Lucchese for him, and he's number 22. So eight new top prospects in the top 30, but mostly in the bottom half. Uh, they also added a couple top 30 prospects during the offseason in the Rule 5 draft in Luis Oviedo, who they got from the Mets uh, in a trade on uh, Rule 5 draft day, and then the number one pick in Jose Soriano, both of whom uh, slotted into the bottom a uh, few spots of the top 30 list, number 27 for Oviedo, number 28 for Jose Soriano. So nearly, you know, I guess a complete third of their top 30 prospects list now has been acquired in uh, the past two months. So looking at that, do these deals move the needle for them in terms of the, I mean, obviously their, their farm system has improved um, in bringing in a third of their top 30 prospects list, but their farm system has ranked right in the middle of the pack over the past few years uh, in our past few rankings, number 15, number 15, and number 16 in our past three rankings. Does this do much? Does this change much there? I know, you know, you guys haven't gotten in, into the farm system rankings that we're going to put out uh, here within the next month or so, um, but just kind of first impression. I'd say not really for me, Jonathan. I don't, I don't know if you feel differently. I, mean, I do. Depth which is good, obviously. But in terms of, you know, when you, if you say moving the needle, Jason, I mean, they haven't added a top 100 guy. They, you know, they've added two guys among their top 13 prospects. I think it bolsters their depth, but I don't think it, it moves their farm system up significantly. So, I mean, I, I would disagree. I mean, I don't know how significantly because you know, we're kind of looking at them in a vacuum. I haven't really compared them to the, to the other systems just yet. Um, I will say, and you have to kind of, I mean, we, we included this when we did the last farm rankings, but th in terms of this front office, they, you know, they also got uh, Leover Poguero and Brennan Malone in the starting Marte trade, you know, before 2020 started. Um, so they've really remade uh, the system. It doesn't move the needle in terms of, you know, as much as if like the, the Rays getting Luis Patino uh, would, you know, getting a, a guy of that caliber, an elite level guy, obviously, has a greater individual impact, but you know, when we, when we go to rank the systems, we look at elite level players and we look at depth and what had happened with the pirate system is they had kind of stuck around in the middle. You know, they had been a top 10 for a while, uh, but they had stayed around the middle because they had some of those elite level or close to elite level prospects at the top, you know, in this case, and they still have Nick Gonzalez uh, and their their 2021st round pick and Key Brian Hayes, who will graduate off, you know, at some point at the you know close to the beginning of the 2021 season. Uh, and then you know O'Neill Cruz is still there, so they still have the top 100 kind of guys. That's what let them stay where they were, but they were really thinned out uh, because of graduations and some of the trades that they had made. So there was a huge drop off, you know, I felt in the back half of that list and, you know, we're now at the point where the guys at the bottom of the list, cur the current list are very interesting. I, I had to take guys off with all these trades who also are pretty intriguing. Um, but, you know, but came off. So uh, for me, once you get to that point where uh, a team's list and you're looking at the guys at the very bottom and you're like, Oh, I kind of like this guy. Uh, and then there are, you know, the 31 to 35 say, you're like, well, there's some interesting guys there too, especially the, the young upside kind of guys, as opposed to the 25, 26 
year old guys who are hovering in, in, you know, triple a, uh, I think that that will change the the needle. How much? I don't know. I, I'm not saying that they're suddenly going to be number four on our list, but they're, they're definitely going to, to move up. And then, you know, those guys are going to have to go out and play all these far away guys who, you know, barely, you know, played pro ball or haven't hit full season ball yet. And uh, if they start to have success, that's when you're really going to see them move to to the top of that ranking. Sorry, I, I was going to say it's interesting because I, I kind of look at it like I, I think you win with with star talent, and I actually think in my mind it'll be interesting. Not that we re rank all the time, but to me, when Brian Hayes graduates, you know, two weeks into the big league season, whenever it starts, that to me will would move the Pirates down more than I think all these trades would move them up. I, I think they have more depth, but once they lose Cabrian Hayes in mid-April or whenever it is, I actually think that would move the de- needle down for them more than adding all this depth would help them. I, I think some of that depends on what some of these guys do. You know, like, you know, Quinn Priester's got a big upper hour next to his name. What happens when he goes out and pitches? He he could add an elite-level arm to their system. Peguero, people love. Uh, and, you know, he he's, he's going to be a guy to watch who can make a huge leap uh, uh, up lists. Uh, and then, you know, then some of these other young guys that they have that we have to kind of wait and see, you know, Brendan Malone, even Eddie uh, Yeon, who they got in the Josh Bell trade. These are all guys who have that kind of ceiling. So they have to go out and do it. I agree. Brian Hayes comes off and there's a gaping hole. You're taking away, you know, one of the best prospects in all of baseball. Uh, but I do think that they have added guys or already have guys who can sort of step into that void, but they have to go out and play and show that they can do it. So it sounds like maybe we see the pirates move up a bit in our preseason uh, farm system rankings when Cabrian Hayes is still uh, has his prospect eligibility. And then once he comes off early in the season and we re-rank the farm systems at mid season, then maybe we see the pirates drop back down because of that, or Maybe we see guys like you just mentioned, Jonathan, take a big leap up and they don't they don't drop them down. Well, remember, they have the number one pick in the draft, too. So if they, yeah, well, I'm not they saying they guy. will move if guys other guys perform well. I, I'm just saying based on just the additions of these guys, I, I to me, I, I just don't think it moves the all that much. But yes, they have the potential for upward mobility because Quinn Priester is going to fly up our top 100. People will see that when it comes out, you know, in, in a couple of days. Think peak. peak. has got upside. You mentioned they get the number one overall pick. Um, you know, I don't, I haven't checked my Pirates roster, but uh, I would assume if they have more players uh, worth trading, they'll be willing to trade them for, you know, for prospects. So we, yeah, we there's not much. See. Jonathan, this is this is going back a little bit, uh, a few Pirates trades now. Um, but as I was looking at all the different prospects that were added and how they slotted into the Pirates list, and I know this is something that you guys talk about pretty frequently because people see how a prospect is ranked on one list and then where he goes on the other list, and they have questions about that. This one's pretty extreme, so I wanted to have you address this one. What went into the process of... Will Crow being number three on the Nats list, a, a not strong list, um, and then being added to the Pirates list and going in at number 21. Well, to be fair, I think when I put him in, he probably was like 15, but we've added so many other guys. Um, so uh, a lot of the guys that have since come in have moved him down. I think he was in the, in the teens somewhere. So it was a combination of, uh, you know, 
talking to people in the pirates organization and then also you know talking to people with the with the nats you know, and and then talking you know mike rosenbaum does our nationals list and uh you know we sort of talked about where crow was and if crow were still in the nationals organization in the re-rank of their list he would have moved down quite a bit um so I, you know i think he was just a a little overranked after a you know a strong 2019 season he's kind of like a hopefully you know for the for the pirates he's a dependable innings eater but that's kind of all he is you know in a in a good big league rotation he's a number 4 or 5 so uh it was just an adjustment that would have been made and i was able to make it with you know with the with the with the change and then, you know, sometimes what happens, uh, and this is, you know, a little bit peeking behind the curtain, but, you know, you have a guy on your current list who you know is going to move up, you know, up the list. And in this case, I'll say it's Tanash Thomas, who's now at number 18. It, it, when I re-ranked the Pirates list, he's going to move way up. And I was cognizant of, of not wanting to put a guy ahead of him based on where he was on an old list. Uh, and this happened not only with, Will Crow, but it also happened with with Ronci Contreras and Omar Cruz, who you know they got from the Padres. Uh, you know, I didn't want to put some of those guys ahead of Thomas based on where they were on the old list, only to flip them when I re-ranked. That didn't make any sense to me. So I tucked some of those arms in behind Thomas. And then with some of these other trades, guys have kind of filled in to knock those guys down a few notches. The toughest thing I think when we're updating these lists, and this year was a little easier because there was no minor league ball and and guys graduated when they changed rookie rule is what Jonathan was just saying, where you add a guy to a list and you want to put him, you know, you, you know, in your mind, the guys, you know, have changed position for when you re-rank the list and you get stuck with exactly what Jonathan was saying, where you don't want to put guys ahead of Tanaj Thomas, but then you're putting them behind other guys you think they might be better then. So it's, you know, it's a little tricky, but you just do the best you can. All right, good insight there, guys. Um, there was another trade, uh, not quite as big as this one, but it was interesting, especially considering the two teams involved, the Yankees and the Red Sox do not see trades between those two teams very often. In fact, I think we said this was just the second trade between these two teams in nearly 25 years. And New Yorker, Adam Adovino, sent from the Yankees to the Red Sox, along with right-handed pitching prospect Frank German. Uh, who was number 24 on the Yankees list, slots in at number 27 on the Red Sox list. Um, so let's talk about the prospect involved here. And uh, what, are, what are the Red Sox getting in this? Yeah, you know, I think in the long run, Jason, he, he probably winds up being a reliever. You know, he had a, he had a great year in North Florida in 2018, was a fourth-round pick, and then he started throwing harder. The Yankees do some uh, nice work getting more velocity out of guys, and his velocity jumped about three miles an hour during his pro debut. Um, velocity maintained, you know, maintained that, that jump in 2019, though he missed a, a month with shoulder soreness. Yeah, he, he's a 94 to 98 guy. Um, it's got some life. It, it's more velo than life. Um, you know, changeups better than the slider. Doesn't really have a great breaking ball. His walk rate jumped when he started throwing harder. Um, like he, he was one of the better. He had won the lower walk rates in Division One at North Florida in his draft year. Um, so it's kind of a question, you know, is that going to come back or is he going to be more of this live arm guy who can't command his stuff as well? You know, I think in the end, you know, like you, you could string together some ifs, you know, if he can, 
come up with a more consistent breaking ball and if he can improve his control and command and if he can stay healthy, then he could be a starter. That, that's a lot of ifs. I, I think he probably winds up being a fastball, heavy multi-inning reliever in the long run. But, you know, not a bad guy to get when you're, you know, the, the cost for getting, you know, Adam Onovino's salary added to your luxury tax calculations rather than the Yankees. And I know from what Boston was saying yesterday, they, they felt like Onovino had one, I think, particularly horrendous outing that, that jacked his stats up last year, but they, they still feel like a lot of what made him successful before that is still there. So I, I think they're kind of looking at this as, you know, having their cake and eating it too. Like they got a bullpen piece and for taking on a salary, they got a prospect as well. Do I make the top secret reference? I would be disappointed if you didn't. I know a little German. He's pitching over there. One of, uh, one of Jonathan's favorite movies. Yes. Of all time. Never let an opportunity slip by. No, no, no. And, uh, and Jim knows how much I love Frank German from his, from his amateur days from, from the draft. He was just a crazy performer. His junior year it was one of like the, one of those things he kept looking at the numbers and yeah, smaller program and things like that, but just absolutely insane. So I've always, I've always been disproportionately intrigued by Frank German. Okay. And th- this leads us to our first pop quiz of the day. Ooh. After I give you the quiz, I'll, I'll ask if you have any idea why I'm giving you this pop quiz. What is someone from Nova Scotia called? I'll give you four options. A, a coasty. B, a sourdough. C, a blue noser. D, a herring choker. I almost feel this could be tricky and it could be all of them. Um, there, but, yeah, there, uh, was, there was no E, all of the above. It, it is a little uh, tricky, though, in that way. I'm going to go Blue Noser because it sounds like the most unusual, and I'm going to think that we're supposed to think it's not Blue Nose, uh, Blue Noser, but that it is. So I will guess Blue Noser. I'm, I'm, I will double down <laughs> wow. and also pick Blue Noser. You are both correct. How about that? <laughs> oh, blue- it just sounds right. I Like, you know? A, a co- they, they're all actually, uh, so a coastie can be someone, um, is someone from British Columbia, but specifically a city slicker type in Vancouver, a sourdough, someone from U- the Yukon region, but reserved specifically for an old timer from that region. A herring choker can be from Nova Scotia, but typically uh, it can also be someone from Prince Edward Island, but typically is someone from New Brunswick. Now, why am I asking that, Jim? Any idea? Well, I know why, because I, I wrote the, I added Jacob Sanford to our, uh, to our Yankees top 30. And uh, he was one of my favorite guys in the 2019 draft, uh, just because of his background, which was that he got no scouting or recruiting interest as a high schooler in Nova Scotia. As a and blue his, noser, you mean? Exactly. And his only college offer was to play volleyball at Dalhousie University in his home province. Um, so how about that? Does anybody know what Dalhousie University's nickname is? Pop quiz number two. Also the blue, also the blue no, nosers. Not, not the blue <laughs> nosers. Incorrect. The sour dough boys. Incorrect. They are the, they are the tigers. Oh, well, that's, no, that's a that's letdown. Boring. So, but, uh, but yeah, no, very, an- very anticlimactic. I was gonna say Jake Sanford was very interesting because, 
know, he's a guy who, who wound up, you know, he won the triple crown in conference USA, Western Kentucky. And nobody heard of this guy. He was, he was running, recording well above average run times, put on these great BPs. And he'd spent two years at McCook, Nebraska community college hitting 23 homers in two seasons with wood bats and my Nebraska area scouts, every one of them said their scout directors were like, why weren't you on this guy? And they were like, who scouts McCook community college, unless, you know, we're, we're sent to, you know, go see a specific player. So he was, he, he created quite the stir in the 2019 draft when he broke out at Western Kentucky. And to be uh, completely clear, the reason that, that we're talking about Jacob Sanford right now is because, when Frank German was traded from the Yankees to the Red Sox, Sanford slid into the number 30 spot on the Yankees top 30 prospects list. All right. You're listening to the MLB Pipeline podcast. When we come back, we are going to dig into our top 10 prospects by position list. We'll do that right after this. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Uh, Jim, Jonathan, and Mike have been hard at work putting out the top 10 prospect by position lists. Uh, which lead up to the 2021 top 100 prospects list. And uh, as we record, we are nearly through the position list. We have three more to go. We've done right-handed pitchers, left-handed pitchers, catchers, first base, second base, and third base. Left-handed pitchers list is led once again by Mackenzie Gore. Uh, He has been a mainstay at the top of that list for the past uh, four seasons now either ranking number one or two on that list i believe the catching list top 10 catching prospects led by adley rutschman top 10 first base prospects led by andrew vaughn top 10 second base prospects led by nick madrigal so white Sox at the top of the first and second base list and the most recent list that we put out of the top 10 third base prospects led by Last year's number one overall draft pick, Spencer Torkelson. Guys, uh, looking at these lists that we've put out so far, I know there's a lot to uh, digest here, but 
What are some things that have sort of stood out to you guys as you've put these lists together? The, the one, and it's kind of an oddball thing, maybe it's just because I love my my draft history, was, you know, I, I was analyzing our, our second base top 10 list. And, you know, second base is probably the least toolsy position, the least exciting group of prospects from a physical standpoint. Um, it's It's not a big position in the draft usually. And yet we have five first round picks, a supplemental first round pick, a second round pick and two seven figure international guys on our top 10. And just to put the first round picks in perspective in the first 43 years of the draft, there were a total of 11 second basemen selected in the first round. And in the last 12 years, there have been, I mean, in the last 13 years, there have been 12 first round picks, almost half of whom are on this list. So I, I, that, that kind of jumped out at me that second basemen are getting taken higher in the draft. I mean, you can make a case that Xavier Edwards, the supplemental first round pick, we had him ranked Jonathan as a first round pick back when he was coming out of high school. I mean, I, I didn't understand why there wasn't more interest in a guy who could really hit and really run and was super athletic. Um, and he obviously would be a first round pick if we went back. But the, the, I, I do think the second base list in terms of, of pedigree and just ability is, is, you know, just unusually, unusually strong. Yeah, and some of those guys, you know, did, weren't second basemen as amateurs. Um, although, you know, some some were. But uh, I think that that's an interesting. For me, the I think the catchers list is the one. You know, and one of the things that's sort of been interesting because twenty twenty was such a bizarre year. Uh, the lists haven't changed all that much. Um, but, you know, this is something that's, I guess, this has been building over the last couple of years, just that, you know, the catcher's list is a lot deeper than it used to be. Um, you know, from, from years ago, I feel like, it, you know, that was one of the positions that was really tough uh, sometimes to even find 10 guys, let alone have, you know, the, the, the next grouping for, for replacements. And then I think on top of that, just and then this is probably overall how many of these lists have guys with projected ETAs of 2021. Now that's such an inexact science when we do that, especially coming on the heels of this year, where the guys who didn't make it up to the big leagues, you don't you don't really know where they are developmentally. You know, you know, you look at the top of the of the catchers list, and you have Adley Rushman and Joey Bart. Now Bart touched the big leagues, so that's fine. Rushman, you know, has barely played but there's a general feeling that he learned a lot working with older players, older pitchers at the Orioles alternate camp. So that's why we put the ETA of 2021 on him, but like it's a little bit of a crapshoot. but I, I felt as we were like unveiling each of these lit, like there's so many of these guys who have a chance to make major contributions to the big leagues, which I think fits in what's been going on <clears throat> in baseball the last few years uh, in terms of, you know, more and more teams, turning to younger players, uh, even if they're competing for playoff spots. I hinted at this uh, last week. I didn't give away the answer, but do you, do you guys know uh, which two teams uh, have the most players on uh, top 10 by position prospects this year? I think my hint, my hint last week was that one is not a surprise that they've had a ton of players. As a matter of fact, they're the team that's had the, the most players. Is it the Rays? The Rays. Yeah. Okay. And then the hint for the other one was it was just that it was the opposite, that it's a team that has historically uh, had very few players on a top 10 uh, prospects by position list. It would be the Tigers? And that would be the Tigers, yes. They both have 
Uh, they, they each have six players on uh, on a top ten list this year. The the Tigers had uh, the Tigers have now had nearly as many players on these lists in the past two years alone as they had in the previous nine years combined. They had had uh, eleven total in the past nine years, including just two in the past five years. And now in the past two years, they've had 10. Well, and I think I've, 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 we talked about this before, too. I mean, if you, going back to when I was at Baseball America, they, they started ranking, ranking organizations, I want to say 1984, which was five years before I got there. And I think between 1984 and a couple of years ago, the Tigers as a farm system, and, and that's the most subjective ranking there is when you're ranking entire farm systems, but still they ranked in the top 10 once like one time in like 30 plus years um and so now that they have one of the best farm systems in baseball it, it, it it's quite striking and in our rankings uh you know we do a preseason rank and a midseason rank and and we had in the past only ranked the the 10 top 10 farm systems um, but we started ranking uh we did 15 preseason 2019 or rather midseason 2019 and then expanded to the full 30 last year but the tigers have gone now from number 10 uh, in the 2019 preseason list up to number six in the 2019 midseason list to number five in last year's preseason list and then to number two in the midseason list last year so a steady rise for them a couple other interesting notes on the top 10 prospect uh, list by position. There were six teams this year. Uh, we, you know, we haven't finished rolling them all out, but once we do, there will be six teams that do not have a single player on a top 10 prospects list. And that's the, the most that there's ever been. There's never been, um, I believe there's never been even more than four teams without a prospect on a list. So it, it does seem to be a little, uh, a little top heavy, this year with a couple teams with six. Um, I think it's the first time that we we've had two teams with, uh, with six or more in a while, if I'm not mistaken, but Oakland, Philadelphia, Houston, uh, the angels, the Nats and the Brewers are going to end up without a single player on a top 10 by position list. Yeah. I mean, that that's interesting. It's funny because, you know, when we, um, you don't want to give away too much, but you know, when we put together our top 100, I was actually pleased and we don't go out of our way to try to make sure there's representation, but we were pleased how, how well things were spread around by team, I think. Uh, so this just means, you know, cause for some of these top 10 by position lists, especially, you know, like right-handed pitching and, uh, shortstops and outfielders, that's like the very best of the best. You know, those, those are the positions that tend to be the deepest on the top 100. I, I don't think we're, you know, letting any secrets out of the bag that, you know, all three of those lists will be all top 100 guys. So, you know, it, it narrows the, it, it uh, makes the pool more shallow. I think for, for some of these teams that even if they have top 100 representatives, they don't have guys at the very top of the list. And that's why you're seeing some of those teams get shut out. Yeah, if you look back at our top 10 lists, since we started doing them in, in 2011, um, and you look at the career war uh, combined total of all the players that have been on those lists, do you guys have a guess of which positions, Jonathan, you just mentioned some of them that historically are strongest have a guess as to what the order is. Well, I think you showed it to us at one point, but I've I've since forgotten. 
Like I, I would think the outfielders would maybe be the strongest because I, I feel like they would be the best bets to hit and and also have a nice array of tools. I will, I will just to have a differing opinion. Say right-handed pitchers. Uh, outfielders yeah. are second. No. Right-handed pitchers are third. Shortstops, Shortstops. have the yeah. highest combined WAR. Um, okay. Players have ranked on our top ten position list. Fourth, second base, maybe surprisingly. Yeah. Uh, then third base, first base, left-handed pitchers, and catchers. Yeah, like I said, catching's been the one that I think historically has has been tough. That seems to be improved now. I really like the our our catching ten right now. The crazy thing was what was based on your your chart, Jason, is that first base more than half of their WAR comes from 2011, and they I think might be the worst position if you started that count in 2012. Yeah, that, that 2011 top 10 first base prospects list is a pretty good looking list. Um, it was Eric Hosmer was number one. Freddie Freeman was number two. Brandon Belt, number three. There are a, a few major misses. Uh, number four was Jonathan Singleton. Uh, number five, Yonder Alonso. Number six was Christian Yelich, who was uh, first baseman at the time. Number seven was Anthony Rizzo. Number eight, Chris Carter. Number nine, Lars Anderson. And number 10, Mark Trumbo. So yeah, that was a, a pretty impressive group. All right, we are going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to talk a little defense. We uh, put out our all-defensive prospect team recently and identified the top defensive prospect on each team. And we'll talk about that right after this. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward Doctors personalize a health plan with you, based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. All right, welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Uh, we just talked about some of the top 10 prospects by position lists that have been rolling out recently. All of that leads up to the top 100 prospects list for 2021, of course. That will go live uh, on Thursday night, uh, January 28th. So uh, if you're listening to this before that, it'll be out soon. If it's If you're listening to this after that, it's up now. Go look at it. Um, it'll go live uh, sometime Thursday night um, and be ready for full consumption on Friday morning. A couple other lists that we've done recently, uh, an all-defense team and a list of each team's best defensive prospects, which kind of piggybacked off of that. The all-defense team, guys, is, uh, I think for me anyway, uh, I was a little surprised to see just how little turnover there has been uh, on these lists over the years. Um, most of the names on here are guys who are repeats. There were 
very few new names. And uh, I don't, does that speak to the fact that these guys are, you know, quickly identified as being excellent defenders early on and then have managed to uh, live up to those expectations or is there, is there something else to this? Yeah, I, I think it's, I mean, I, I think the reason that this year, I think there was only one player on the first team who had never been honored before was just because we didn't have a, as many graduations as we would have had in a normal year. But if, if you look just running through the team real quickly, you know, when Jake Rogers, the catcher was coming out of the draft, there were scouts who thought he was the best defensive uh, cat, you know, best defensive player in that entire draft. You know, Evan White no longer qualifies. Our, our one newcomer was at first base with Nick Prado, whose glove work was cited coming out of the draft. But Evan White, who won it three years in a row, people were saying in college that this guy was an uncommonly good first baseman who could play center field. You know, Madrigal, except for his arm, has everything else you'd want to play shortstop. And, and Nick Madrigal, and he's at second base for three years in a row. Brian Hayes was another guy who who was good defensively coming out of the draft and kept getting better and better. Um, you know, Matt Chapman was one of our first two mentions at third base, and, and he's obviously proven that in the big leagues. At shortstop, you have Nick Allen, again, another player who was cited as one of the, you know, arguably the best defensive player in his draft. And then you have guys like Christian Pache and Leody Tavares who were signed in large part because they were outstanding in center field. And, and Buddy Reed, you know, who was on the team in 2019 and again this year, uh, again, you know, was, was cited as perhaps the best defensive outfielder in his draft. You know, he started Florida. So I, I think in a lot of cases, it's been guys who have come into pro ball with outstanding defensive reputations and, and then very much lived up to them. Yeah, I don't, I don't have too much more to, to add to that. I do think that, you know, some of it is just identifying them sooner, you know, uh, you know, there's, there's still, I think, you know, the, the metrics to measure defense are, you know, imperfect. So, you know, there is more information, uh, but uh, you know, some of it is just the fact that it's being talked about more and identified more, you know, you could, you could make a sort of uh, argument, you know, well, you know, some guys who are really good defenders and don't hit, it takes them longer, but that, most of these guys on this list have, you know, uh, moved, at a normal speed through the system, maybe Buddy Reed is, a, is an exception. Um, you know, it, it, uh, that's quite a good outfield. I'm just looking at the graphic now, and you have Tavares and Pache on the corners with Reed in center, just in the graphic. Um, and you could, you know, sort of toss them anyway you want. Pache, you know, for me, is the guy just because since we started, you know, even polling executives about who the best defensive player in in the minors was he he's been the guy uh and i don't know you know both he and key brian hayes are the guys who get brought up the the most consistently and the most frequently uh and with hayes you know it's interesting because he always had uh ability uh you always had good hands and a strong arm but when he first entered pro ball uh, he wasn't nearly as agile as he is now. So, you know, he, he gets a little tip of the cap because he completely you know, remade his, his body and committed to conditioning. And so uh, in addition to the hands and the arm and, and the instincts, he, he's added ridiculous range to the point where the pirates even talked about seeing what, you know, what he might look like say at shortstop. Now they never did that. And kudos to them for not doing that, but Hayes is a guy who kind of worked his way onto the list with, you know, a, a good tool set to start with. Jonathan, you mentioned the the graphics with Pache and Tavares in the corners and Reed in center. This is uh, people always get angry at this, but to be clear, 
we pick the three best outfielders, not the best left fielder, right, right. fielder, They're and center fielder. Yeah. And they can only they can only go in one spot on the graphic. So, uh, well, how did you determine fans. who 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 went in the middle there? Who who makes that determination? You know, you I, we you know we do a uh, we do a team of the week prospect team of the week, and that's something that I always every week I find myself spending a little too much time trying to determine <laughs> which player goes where in those graphics. I was not involved in this one. I personally would have had Pache in center. Uh, just because, you know, Jonathan talking about the fact that many view him as the very best defensive prospect in all of baseball, um, think earns him the center field spot. Also, Reed has played some right field. Pache played uh, played a little on the corners as well, um, even as, as late as last year. But uh, yeah, I, I probably would. Well, here's Pache. here's how I'll justify it for you, so you can you you can rest a little easier. Is it alphabetical? It's, uh, not. it's not. No, I I looked at that too. I'm like, no, no, that's not right. Buddy Reed's value really comes as if he's a center fielder. He's, you know, he may be a fourth outfielder when all said and done, you know, if the offense doesn't come around, but I think his best value is in center. I think Christian Pache is going to be a good enough offensive player where he could profile in right field. And not to mention that he's got the strongest outfield arm in baseball. So he profiles better in as a right fielder than Buddy Reed would. So there you go. Yeah, but if you're deploying these guys in the same lineup, I think you'd want the best guy in center field. Oh, I would put Pache in center field every 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 day. But I'm just saying, I'm just trying to to make our fearless leader feel a little bit better. So, Jason, on the on the second team graphic, we went with a all defense second team this year, in part because our first team was a bunch of guys who'd repeated. who do do you like Victor Victor Mesa in center field flanked by Pete Crow Armstrong and, and Braden Bishop on the second team graphic? I, I like that. I, I like Mesa. Yeah, this one's not. Yeah, this one's not. Uh, I mean, you could you could argue it certainly one way or the other, but this one is certainly not as egregious. And that team, by the way, uh, rattle it off quickly. Behind the plate is uh, Braves Shea Langliers, followed by uh, the first baseman is Michael Togley of the Bra- of the Rockies, rather. Second base, Vidal Brujan of the Rays. Third base, Gage Workman of the Tigers. Shortstop, Nassim Nunez of the Marlins. And the outfield that uh, Jim just mentioned, Braden Bishop of the Mariners. Pete Crow Armstrong of the Mets. And Victor Victor Mesa of the Marlins. And Victor Victor Mesa, the only player on the first or second team who is not ranked in his team's top 30 prospects, but does make the all-defensive prospect team. Yeah, he he was on the list for a while. I mean, he was down towards the bottom of the list and got pushed off. His brother is on the Marlins list, hanging steady at at number twenty eight. But the Marlins had a had a good draft and made a couple trades. And and Victor Victor, despite his large bonus, uh, is, is not on the list. Uh, you know, he was a guy who really needed to come out in twenty twenty, and show he could have any kind of impact with bat, and obviously didn't get that opportunity. So. As with many players, a big 2021 for Victor Victor Mesa. He's got some developing he needs to do. Is he going to be? The, he'll be the um, the Marlins player when we do our uh, 30 prospects with something to prove in in 2021 list. Um. Yeah. You could. I mean, they have a couple, but yeah, you could. You could. He, he's certainly a candidate. That's going to be a tough one to do, isn't it? Like when a lot of guys didn't get a chance to play. Like I don't know how much different it's going to be than our list going into 2020 was, right? Yeah, we'll have to see. Um, but Jim, the the Mesa brothers kind of interesting, right? Because they've, they've done a bit of a reversal in that you know when they were signed, Victor Victor got the big bonus. Um, I remember him uh, getting consideration, you know, for the top one hundred list, top one hundred 
overall prospects in baseball. He did he ever actually make make it onto the top one hundred? He might have. I mean, the, the the problem the the problem with the with a lot of the Cuban international signees is they get like they all get overhyped or all get hyped a ton. And as, as you know, as much, you know, fanfare as there was with Victor, Victor Mesa, there were a lot of scouts. You know, I mean, when I, I tried to figure out exactly where to rank him on our, our Marlins list who really questioned the bat. Um, they thought he could make contact. They didn't think he drove the ball at all, which Jonathan, I mean, you saw him in the Arizona fall league, as did I, that was definitely true. He did not Homer in his first full season in the minors had only 10 extra base hits. I think he, I'm looking at here. He slugged, he slugged 263, which is not good. Um, and he's got a very flat swing. He makes contact almost too easily. So he doesn't walk. I, you know, I, I had guys who thought he was kind of a quicker version of Albert Almora, but really worried about the offensive upside. And so far those worries have, have proven founded And you know, Victor, Victor Mesa Jr. gets confusing with their dad, Victor, and then Victor, Victor, and Victor Jr. as the brothers. Uh, Victor Jr. signed for only a million, and he was less athletic, but five years younger, but was considered to have a higher offensive ceiling. He had starred in Cuba's 18 and under league, and he played in the Gulf Coast League. And, I mean, he didn't tear it up, but, I mean, he was only – 18 or 17, I guess, for most of the season, hit 284. He, his batting average was higher than Victor Victor's slugging average um, with a little bit of pop. I, I don't think he's going to be a huge impact. He, he has a chance to be maybe a solid hitter with average power if it all comes together. All right. I think we've already spent way too much time talking about Victor Victor Mesa, although I have heard some reports that the family was considering taking away one of the Victors just because uh, he's been hitting so poorly. All right. Um, well, we did go with uh, Nassim Nunez as the uh, Marlins' best defensive prospect over Victor Victor Mesa. And guys, uh, we named the best defensive prospect for each team. Um, without looking, I think all the guys on the first team probably have to. Well, no, unless they're not true. Uh, teams with, uh, oh, right, 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 right. It's not necessary. Because, because for the White Sox, Nick Madrigal, I went with a shortstop who's – Yolbert Sanchez is a very, very good shortstop and thought that there would be more impact with him at shortstop than Madrigal at second base. Right. Uh, this list of uh, best defensive prospects for each team includes 15 shortstops, 11 outfielders, three catchers, two third basemen, and one first baseman, no second baseman. Uh, anyone on this list that uh, stood out to you guys when uh, when you were putting this list together? Maybe somebody who wasn't didn't make the uh, first or second team, uh, or was maybe just at a crowded position, but as a, as an elite level defender that we should keep an eye on. There were two shortstops for me, and obviously we could only put two on the team. There's a lot of talented shortstops. Taylor Walls with the Rays. Um, the Rays have so many shortstops and I don't know if he's going to play ahead of Willie Adamas or Wander Franco who might move and they've got other shortstops coming, but he's just a tremendous defensive player, uh, Rays defensive player of the year in each of his two full seasons uh, in pro ball. And then Gabriel Arias with the Indians might have the strongest infield arm of the minors. Um, a lot of guys will put 80 on the arm and he's also a, a plus shortstop. Um, who also has a ton of power for the position too. So those were, th those were probably the two that stood out to me. I think the one guy that jumps out to me is, is someone who's known to everybody and that's Adley Rushman. Um, 
you know, coming out of the draft class, he was the best overall catcher. Shea Langoliers had a slight edge defensively. He still has a slight edge defensively. Um, but I think he could have made an argument for Rushman to, you know, to be one of the two catchers. I mean, he's plus arm, plus catch and throw, plus receiver. Uh, you know, got even better from from what I've told during you know, working with the upper level pitchers during uh, alternate camp. So he's uh, obviously an elite level prospect all around, but a guy who could have belonged on, you know, could have made an all defensive team for sure. That leads us right into our mailbag question quite neatly because it is about our top 10 catchers list. And this one comes from BZ baseball at 2021 BZ legendary asks, why was Alejandro Kirk not on the top 10 catchers? He had a great, nope, he had a really good major league season. I thought he could have made it at least the top 10 catchers, considering that catchers are not the strongest position for prospects. We had quite a few people uh, that echoed that sentiment. So I thought this would be a good one to answer this week. So I'm going to say this, you know, I, I think it's worthwhile to ask the question. And I do, you know, and I think that Kirk is a guy who's, probably been a little bit underrated. However, there are two things with that question that make me want to reject it. Uh-oh. One, he had a good major league season. He had 25 plate appearances. Come on. Well, you're not going to put a guy in a top 10 list just because he, he had, you know, he looked pretty good over nine games, you know? So the other thing that I'll reject is saying that the catcher's list is, is not as strong. And we kind of touched on that earlier. I actually think it's really good, um, you know, without having done the work, maybe Kirk belongs in the sort of next group of five or six. Um, but this is a guy who, yes, he, he looked good in the big leagues, but he hasn't played above a ball yet. And so there's not as much track record you know, for me. Um, you know, I wouldn't put him ahead of any of the guys that, we, we have on, on, our, on our current top 10, like I said, it's a lot deeper than it used to be. So, um, you know, I think Kirk is, is, is good. He deserves consideration for a list like this. But for me, he, he did not measure up to, uh, you know, the guy who, you know, Yvonne Herrera is number 10 on, the, on, the, on our current catching list. And I would take Herrera over Kirk. I just I cannot believe the disrespect for a guy who hit 375. Question rejected. Guy hit 375 in the big leagues with a 983 ops, and Jonathan sure. just, just Jonathan's not accepting that. Uh, put him in Cooperstown now. Sure. I, I'm, I'm astonished. But, it, you know, it, as you mentioned before when we were talking about the positions, there were nine top 100 catchers, so we were really just adding one guy to the list. You know, the top 100, we, we start by doing the top 100, and then take the position list off that and fill in as needed. You know, you, could you, could you vote for Kirk? Who's a, you know, I, I like Kirk. You know, if you're breaking him down, I think he can really hit. I'm not sure he quite gets the average power and he's kind of a fringy defender. I mean, he's, he's an interesting player. Could you, you, yes, you can make a case for him. You can make a case for Bo Naylor. You can make a case for two catchers who were drafted in the first round last year and Tyler Soderstrom, who, who may or may not stay a catcher and Patrick Bailey. I mean, there's a lot of catchers and we only had room for one and we went with, with Yvonne Herrera. So, I mean, if we're going to use major league stats, you know, how about the fact that Kirk has never thrown out a major league or trying to steal? In his entire career. Wow. This is, uh, who knew that the mailbag, I, I think this might be our most pointed mailbag reaction ever. 
You know me, you know me in the sample size thing, man. I mean, that's like as small sample size as you can get. I don't know, Jonathan. Hitting 375 is a really good major league season. All right, you know what? I'm going to come clean. It's it's really because I hate Canada. See, you got to wow. be like me. I, I put Jake Sanford on the Yankees' top 30. I give Nova Scotia the, their due. Dalhousie University gets mentioned again on MLB Pipeline. So I am the friend of Canada, and apparently no, you are the I, enemy of Canada. No, I love Mike Soraka. I love uh, Jordan Balazovic of the of the Twins. Uh, don't don't say that. I you know. I just don't like uh, catchers and on Canadian teams, I guess. I don't, I don't know. This just goes to show people send your questions in to us. We, we will, uh, we'll pan them. We'll, we'll, uh, <laughs> Jonathan will disrespect you. He will reject your question, but do send them to us. You can, uh, Jim and Jonathan on Twitter will send out uh, each week uh, a request for questions don't be afraid. This this doesn't happen. This doesn't happen every week. Is Jonathan going to send his legion of Twitter followers after two o two one BZ legendary? Now I, I hope you don't do that, Jonathan. No, I would not. Okay, good. Let's hope. Not. Let's, let's let's show some restraint. Thank you for the question. Keep them coming. Thanks, everybody. That's going to be it for this week's podcast. Don't forget to su- to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, wherever you get your podcasts, so you don't miss an episode of MLB Pipeline. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions please leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.